Welcome to the Service Management Leadership Podcast with Jeffrey Tiefertiller. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us on the Service Management Leadership Podcast. We have a great guest. David B.U. is joining us. David's an ITIL ambassador. David has a long uh, history, long uh, experience in the IT service management world. David, how are you? Fine, thank you. Thank you for inviting me, thanks. All good. So David is, and this is off script, so I'm, I'm, uh, you, you guys will appreciate this. David, you, how many languages do you speak? Uh, um, I would say fluently uh, three and not fully fluently the fourth one. So I speak French, I'm French, English, as you can hear. Uh, Czech because I live in Czech Republic and uh, Spanish because I uh, studied uh, more than 10 years at school. Wow. So, and I say that just you're a talented guy and uh, I struggle with the English language sometimes. So I appreciate those that can do better. You've been in the service management world a long time. How'd you get started down this path? I always find these, these stories interesting. Nobody goes to school and says, I want to be an ITIL person or a service management person. How did you get started? Yeah, that's a very good question. In fact, uh, when I was um, uh, IT manager of uh, uh, Renault in Czech Republic, you know, the car maker, in 2002, there were floats in Prague. And uh, because of that, as I was the IT manager, I have to move from day to day, 80% from one location to another. And I started to get interest in continuity management process. And that's, <laughs> that's why, you know, I started to learn about that. And then I learned about ITIL and that's the way I started. Wow, it just due to floods, huh? Uh, so I'm a big business continuity, service continuity person too, and find uh, the synergy between that area and service management to be much more tight than most people believe. So you have a lot of experience in several different European countries. How are they different one from the another? And this part always uh, is interesting to me because we think, oh, they're all the same, but they're not, are they? Yes, you're right. In fact, uh, I can divide it uh, where I was uh, having some assignments into three locations, France, a German-speaking country in Europe, so it means uh, Switzerland, Switzerland part, um, Germany and Austria and Central Europe. So if I, for instance, uh, look at Germany and German-speaking country, they are really uh, focused on processes, process first in service management. Uh, if I look more at the, my experience in French organizations, uh, they don't forget, you know, the human part of service management. So that means the organization, the way, you know, they can um, ease the transformation to be sure that the people will, you know, say that uh, this change is a good thing. So much more about the organization change management, as it is said in either. And um, in Central Europe, they are focused on tool. First tool, then the rest. <laughs> That's interesting because Central Europe would do well in the U.S. because many people in the U.S. are focused on the tool. And when you said that France is on the human side, it made me think of uh, 
our common friend, uh, Kat McDermott, who talks about the human aspects of IT and IT service management. So you're an expert in service management and also in agile. Yeah. How, how well do you think organizations are merging this? I, I received this question recently. And uh, how do I do this with this? So, you know, and, and it's always, how do I do one with the other? Not how do I help them coexist, right? I have this in this type of uh, arrangement. I want to shoehorn or press in this other one. If, how well are organizations in Europe merging service management and agile? In fact, I would say that uh, how well they do that, it's um, is showing how mature they are in this area. Okay, so for instance, uh, you know, uh, many stakeholders from the customer side think that agile is the key for success. But agile for them means that they have nearly no duty <laughs> and the provider has this list of things to do. Okay, this is what they think about agile, okay? On the other hand, you have organization where people, you know, taking care of infrastructure, they're mentally against any change. You know, it's like these two philosophers, you had Heraclite and Parmenid. One said that the world is static and the other one said that the world is dynamic. And, you know, this, when I said that it's organization go well when they manage to make this work together, it's a matter of maturity. So they made a lot of projects and persuaded, by example, that people had to work together on an agile way. And it's always interesting because the, the funniest, uh, I say the funniest, the funniest to me arguments that I hear is, are the arguments, do we call it a product or a service? Because those, those are the arguments that we hear on those. And I'm like, you call a cat a dog, but it's still a cat, you know, like there's this, this, this need for common terminology. What are your thoughts on that? Yes, you're right. And, and, and that's, um, uh, you know, um, it, it's also, uh, it's good to have a common terminology because in some sense, it also structures your approach. For instance, you know, when we talk about DevOps, which is um, so, so often used nowadays, uh, we talk about the way, for instance, Spotify is structured, you know, uh, how they build this product ownership, how they build this tribes, these squads, and all these organizations. And in fact, having some product owners, you can call them service owner, you can call them product owner, doesn't really matter. It, it means that you have a coherent set of people that want to work together for a specific goal. And that's what we want. And also, we want these people not to forget at the end of the day what they did, and to be sure that there will be a kind of lessons learned that will really be embedded in this organization. So I think this is uh, much more about uh, not having a, a, a product owner or service owner or whatever. It's much more about, you know, the culture and the organization in, in, in your organization, yes. Especially the culture. How can organizations mature or improve in that area? Your opinion. Yeah, so you know, for instance, there is um, an interesting uh, tool. Um, I am using uh, for that, and uh, maybe uh, you, you, your listeners will uh, learn or know about that. It's in Prince2 Agile, you know, the way you combine Prince2 method with Agile. That's what's called an Agile Agilometer. An Agilometer is a tool for you to uh, see in different areas 
at which level of maturity your organization is. So for instance, it's, it has no point for the organization if there is no culture of collaboration to set an agile way of working. If they can't collaborate, you have to forget that. You know, if they don't have, I would say, uh, also the idea of having some flexibility of what is delivered, there is no point doing that. For instance, I was uh, delivering a project where you had to implement an, an information system for wages to compute and you know create wages for employees. You have regulations. There is no time to say, okay, you will make a, a minimum viable product. It's all or nothing, you know? So, and, and if you have this kind of project and this kind of organization, then it's difficult for you to uh, try and, 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 and create an, an agile way. Yes, and, and you mentioned two things that I just wanna pile on. One is, especially when you're merging frameworks, you have to have the culture and the leadership buy-in from the top for everybody to get along and create this. You know, because even ITIL 4 says, let's get away from the, the silos, let's collaborate, let's work iteratively. So, you know, we're moving in that direction. We just need, cult, we need the culture and the leadership to help keep everybody on the same uh, track. But the second part, you mentioned a way to measure. And as ITIL nerd, we always like measurement. We always like understanding how mature we are, how well we're doing, and uh, I think those are two key points that we need to remember no matter what we're doing. So yeah. if you were tasked with implementing a common framework, you know, Agile, Prince, ITIL within an organization, what are, how would you do that? How would you go about merging those? And it can even be merging multiple Agile pro, you know, frameworks. But merging multiple frameworks, whatever they are, I think is going to be a big hurdle for the people in the next five years. You know what I mean? Because all these frameworks are converging. Oh, yeah, so that's a good question. In fact, um, the approach would be that you have, as I said, uh, you have to rely on some tool sets to, ass to assess the maturity of the organization. As I say, there is no point you know, to, uh, to make a revolution in an organization. Right. you will never succeed okay right. so that's the first point otherwise you will never have any sustainable change okay right. the guy that comes at the assignment he will leave and they will come back uh, you know to the <laughs> past to the past uh, bad habit so um so you really need to know if if it worth doing that and then when you have that you can pick up some pilot to see if um uh, i mean pilot project uh, to apply this for instance you can have some pilot. We had some pilot project uh, for Agile where we had to design some dashboard for uh, commercial people, okay, based on BI infrastructure. So there was a, 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 a good way for us to have an MVP because we said that now there is a list of uh, reports that the commercial people will have on a monthly basis to compute their day bonuses. And Let's start with a set of these. So in that case, you know that this organization sees a real added value of working, you know, iteratively and incrementally. So, but in some cases it is not possible. So try to see if it's mature, pick up some pilot project. And from that, you can derive whether it's something that you can apply just for a types of project 
or embed in the whole organization. That's what I would do. And that's even based in the ITIL four guiding principles, right? Start where yeah, you yeah. are, iterate uh, with feedback. You know, those that still is is uh, something that you can merge together. You mentioned DevOps a few uh, a couple minutes ago. And DevOps and service management people like those two can't they can't live together. They can't. And I'm like, yes, they can. And I, you know, only because the only people that think that they can are the ones that want theirs to be the king and the others not to be. You know what I mean? And there's this, and it's culture leadership, just like you mentioned. So how do you how do you recommend organizations incorporating DevOps and service management? Uh, for that, Jen, uh, you, you know, uh, DevOps is really uh, really focused on um, on culture. And uh, also, of course, uh, on agile and and many people. Just to be sure that many people make this mistake that DevOps uh, uh, is based on tools. As I said, in Central Europe, you know, you use some tools. So many people, you know, said, "Okay, I do DevOps because I have tools for I don't know continual uh, release or for continuous deployment, deployment or these kind of things." Okay, this is not true. So what I would suggest is to really be sure that you know you can add some uh, common value in this organization. The first value, and, and it is based on this, uh, as you say, guiding principle. For instance, you have to be sure that uh, people are focused on value. So that means that they, uh, that's what they call in, in, um, in DevOps. When you do something, when you have a project, then you see, you know, uh, you have the end in mind. So you see, you know, why you do all that. Many people, and that's also explained in ITIL, that's what they call, I think, the golden cycle. You know, what they say is that people forget the why. They focus on the what and sometimes the how. Right. So, so DevOps, if you just take this approach and then you derive it with all this, um, let's say, uh, synonym of what you have in ITIL, the guiding principle, then I think it's a good approach because you focus on the why and not on the what or the how and the, the the one thing that i always tell people trying to incorporate these two is the code is the ci and treat the code like you would you mentioned that you started in the early 2000s back then when you said your it manager when you would uh deploy you'd have a new server you'd have a disk with an image on it and you'd deploy it a million times treat the DevOps code like that disk. And when you change the image, okay, now it needs to go through more rigorous testing through the ITIL change control processes, practices, but you can deploy it a million times and create automation. That's the one thing that I always bring up. Uh, so ITIL 4 has gone a couple steps forward. In my view, it, it still could have gone further only because it, it talks about the why, but many people have many different types of organizations with different culture, different leadership, and they have these questions like how. You know, like people want something prescriptive like ITIL V3 on an instant management to do this, then this, then this, then this, right? Everybody wants to tell me what to do. So ITIL 4 helps get the conversation started of bringing these frameworks together. 
like the the guiding principles what's the next step how are they going to be brought together fully you could talk about the guiding principles but you know there's a lot for organizations to maneuver around there right yeah in fact when we look at um, the evolution of idle uh, we can see that uh, the different versions, um, you know, that they, they were, um, I would say, uh, they came uh, on a, about a decade, uh, uh, let's say, uh, you know, rhythm. So each decade, you had a new version of Idol. Okay. On the other hand, of course, you had some uh, organization that faced some, let's say, issues uh, to bring agile transformation much before the Idol 4. Okay, so the so the challenge of idle is to be sure that uh, they will not be not only only a reactive mode. And what will be the driver for that? For me, the driver now will be much more the technology. Idle four is an operational model. So the the the, the core of that is what uh, you know this uh, service value system, which is an operational model. Okay, you can you know mix together some practices with activities. And then you, let's say, manage all the issues you can. Okay, you deliver value, as they say. But on the other hand, you have a lot of practices that don't address yet the technological challenges that we face now. For instance, you know, intelligent, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning. Okay, it's mentioned in high velocity IT in ITIL. But I think that that's 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 the the. I don't know. I'm not the author of ITIL, but I think that. Um, that's that's a way or that's a direction that has to be taken by ITEL if they want to survive because ITEL is not the only framework in service management. There are others. <laughs> oh yes, no, I'm joking. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. people won't won't want that to admit that. And to take that a step further, and it goes back to something you said a, a couple minutes ago: is if we're trying to merge all these frameworks, we need to start with that customer. And what they need in that, as ITIL 4 would call it, value co-creation. Start at that point. What does the customer want, need? What do they want to help co-create and work backwards? Do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think that just the fact that we call that co-creation, it's also important from the point of view of the customers because it really shows that uh, it's not you know, this old fashioned way of dealing with suppliers. As I said earlier, when you have only duties or when you have only rights, you know, it's really about co-creation. So that means I'm sure that my users use this product properly. Otherwise, I can't complain, for instance. Right. If they don't use it properly, they will never get a, a service that will be performed as they want. Okay, so, so, so I think that is an important just word, this co-creation because it makes customers think a little bit differently. And uh, I, I, I enjoy these podcasts. And so a lot of times I'll refer back to something someone said. Stephen Olick, a previous guest, said that sometimes IT is a self-licking ice cream cone. And that makes me chuckle every time because, you know, it's like we create this just for ourselves. And in IT, we need to say, Mr. Customer, Mrs. Customer, let's create value together, you know? It's pretty, it always makes me chuckle. So <laughs> do you foresee a time where there would be a common framework? And I, I threw this question in, 
because our we meant I mentioned Cat McDermott earlier. She's starting this this move that, that she's I think she's starting a book or maybe even releasing the book on trying to create a common terminology. But do you think there'll be a time where we'll have that common terminology across frameworks and you know we think of product service or whatever else? Do you think there'll be a time where uh, we'll get there? Um, if I am optimistic, I would say yes. And if I'm realistic, I will say no. <laughs> uh, realistic, realistically, it, it, I would say that, that uh, it's desirable. Everybody wants that. But um, every uh, owner of a framework, you know, will have his own commercial interest. If there was no commercial interest, then ISO 20,000 would have won this battle a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, take that a step further. I go back to this because I have a couple of teenagers. I go, I use this phrase way too often. We all do what we're incentivized to do. And to your point, the people in an organization, there may be somebody that's over the service management area, somebody else over DevOps, someone else over the agile, like in the PM, the DevOps and the dev development group. And then you have this service management area and none of them are going to say no we want to adopt your framework because we're all incentivized differently is that similar to what you were thinking yes yes exactly and um and and and, and, and it is also interesting from the point of view of the customer it's also it's very interesting to see you know the decision that you can take based on uh you know different um of which framework you will use, okay? Mainly it's based on time you have and amount of money you have. For instance, if you have a lot of time and a lot of money, <laughs> you can hire one of the biggest, you know, consultancy company you have. And then they will have a, a detailed answer for everything. If you want to have a first level, but you don't have a lot of money and a lot of time, you can go for ISO 20,000. It will give you the minimum, you fulfill the requirements, and you have some processes. And in between, you can use idle, or you can send your people in idle courses, as I see many times in Central Europe. <laughs> they send people in, in idle, then they are from day to day some idle expert, and then they can try to implement some processes. So really, uh, based on what you can afford, then you can decide what to do. And the one caution I would say, and this is general, not pointed at anybody specific. Many times the biggest, more expensive one isn't the best because yeah. their their view, you know, theirs is consulting, billing hours, not, hey, what does this customer need? Let's adopt what we do for their for their best interest. I only throw that out there. Of course, you do consulting, I do consulting. All I was throwing out there is, you know, sometimes Vegas isn't the best. It's just one of those things. If there's an ITIL 5, I ask all of our ITIL people this question. How will it change from ITIL 4? Um, I think that... Uh that the, uh, the, 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 I would say the, the core engine, which is the uh, service value system and the service value chain, 
is something that uh, will be built on. So that means that for me, the evolution on a short term would be about having some new uh, practices. Okay. So for me, for instance, they need to uh, enhance the enterprise service management. So that means to integrate some HR processes or some other processes in the practices. And also to have some practices that really, as I said before, um, uh, are uh, relevant for the new techno technological um, challenges from cloud uh, technologies, machine learning, uh, business intelligence, big data, and so on and so on. So I think that that would be a, a direction. And one thing that just you saying that I had never, I hadn't had this thought before, but since the uh, the service management rules are starting to adapt uh, project management capabilities. Incorporating agile and DevOps into those capabilities would be another step, I would yeah. think. Yeah. All right. So COVID is like the five-letter word, you know, it's almost profanity now. How has it changed for you and your company, your group? Has it been impactful for you? Oh, uh, because of COVID, I had to manage uh, people remotely for six months on a daily basis. So my team was in France and I was uh, in Czech Republic. Very difficult, to be honest, very difficult. And, uh, but I had no choice. And I think that the situation will not be better. So uh, there's a real challenge. And here you can see that, uh, uh, you know, managing teams and having some relationship with people uh, can't, you know, you can't do that all, all remotely, but you can't do that all uh, presently. So you have to find a compromise. But COVID for me was very difficult because of that, because I, uh, eight, eight hours a day to have call, 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 call you know, to, to see what your team uh, is doing. Uh, it was a nightmare, to be honest. Yes, and I, I still agree. And I know in the US there's a big push for work from home. I'm not against it, but there will be no substitute for sitting in the same room with someone, having lunch together, having a coffee together, understanding their point of view, because the better relationship we have, if we get into disagreement, we know where each other's coming from versus sometimes, you know, through technology, it's not as easy, right? Yeah. And that's also what they say, they approach that. I remember when I, I had this book, you know, this, this idol practitioner, when they talk about the communication and they say that, you know, that we communicate all the time and a lot of things are managed, you know, informally. So uh, you don't make meetings, you meet, you know, in the corridors, you, have, you, you manage a lot of things and all that disappeared. Oh yes, it does. And not to get too off track, but it, it's changed our view of work versus home. I don't look at it as I work from home. I, I choose to think of it as I live where I work because I end up working more and the flexibility's gone the other way at times. And so I assume it's the same for other people. It's been a great conversation, David. How can the viewers, the audience out there, how can they get in touch with you, learn more about you and your company? The best is on like on LinkedIn, so it's the best. And otherwise on my website, forsirs.global, we uh, now, for instance, uh, create a set of uh, free webinar, uh, introductory webinar for the, 
different methods we um, implement or we learn or we taught. So that's the best way, LinkedIn and my website. And those uh, listening and watching, you'll see him uh, tagged from this podcast. David, thank you for joining us and uh, look forward to talking again very soon. Thank you for inviting me and, uh, and I wish you a good, uh, to enjoy your Thanksgiving <laughs> celebration. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. We'll be back with Jeffrey's closing thoughts. Hello, everyone. This is Jeffrey back with Closing Thoughts. We thank David B.U. for being on our podcast. It's great to get the input, the just the feedback of how service management is done, is performed, is excelling in other countries and how different countries are unique. It's kind of like different organizations here in the U.S., so that's always great to hear that so-and-so is not on an island. There are many others just like them. And I say so-and-so because that could be you. It could be people you talk to. Every place is unique, but there are some commonalities. Also, that there are really sharp ITSM people around the world. David's in a part of Europe that may not have as much uh, ITSM, and so reach out to him if you're in his area. But also I wanted to explain that we at Service Management Leadership, if you notice that our podcast, while taking different guests in different parts of the world on different topics, all look pretty similar. Only in that our guests are different, topics are different, but there's this theme of trying to elevate those in this area, in this industry, in this sector. And that's what we want to do. We want to be a rising tide. And so we thank you for being a part of this podcast. And let me know if service management leadership can help you and your organization as you try to improve your service management processes or practices. Move from ITIL V3 to ITIL 4. You have an ITSM tool implementation or maybe IT asset management or if you have something in the business continuity realm, disaster recovery, incident response that you need addressed or improved. We would love to help you in any of those areas. And I hope you have a great, great day. And we thank you once again.